Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome, guys, to another episode of Dealmaker Diaries. With us today is Heather Drees, the Director of Funding at Secured Investment Corp., and fund manager with one of the fastest growing companies in the private money marketplace in the US, focusing on residential real estate investments. Heather is passionate about helping self-employed entrepreneurs and their families build wealth and succeed in their business ventures and helping investors deploy capital that is looking for a high yielding passive investment backed by residential real estate. She has seen real estate investors succeed and fail and is committed to tipping the scale to the side of success for everyone she can. Today, we'll be discussing why real estate funds are one of the best alternative investments you can make. Also, a beginner's guide to first lien position notes and how to invest in them. The future of residential real estate markets. And finally, investing in real estate without the real estate hassle. So let's give Heather a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. Hey, Heather, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on. And so, Heather, before we hop in, uh, why don't you um, tell, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and um, your background in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I kind of fell into this by chance. I, I actually went to college to be a teacher, an elementary school teacher. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> realized I was a lot better at real estate than I was at educating our youth. So. <laughs> <laughs> Had a friend that was, you know, and I think everybody has an interesting story and, and most people didn't start down this path. You know, they come into it by referrals or friends and family and, you know, by chance, but mine isn't much different. I, I had a friend that was in the private money industry um, and really had no idea what that even meant um, and asked me to come to work for him. And Honestly, my eyes were just open to the fact that, you know, as a active real estate investor, there was opportunity for funding outside of what a bank would allow. And then on the passive side was fascinated by the fact that people could invest money, get better yields than they were getting in the stock market backed by tangible real estate assets. And so that was really my start to it. And, um, you know, my husband and I are, are personally active real estate investors. And I think from a professional level, I just had a big passion for helping clients, you know, down the path to financial freedom. And, and I just feel like there's so much opportunity in real estate, you know, whether you're active and you're buying the real estate and creating wealth for yourself and, you know, generational wealth for your family, or if you're someone that, you know, has a daytime job and is just really looking to passively deploy some capital, there's a lot of opportunities outside what mo most financial advisors and money managers are going to tell people. And so I just have this passion to educate people. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't give financial advice, but I do educate people on the fact that there's bigger opportunities out there and better yielding opportunities. So 
my path here was, you know, probably not much different than most, um, but um, feel like, you know, honestly, it's opened up doors for opportunities for myself. My husband and I currently own rentals in our portfolio. And you and I, Donald, were talking that, you know, we're dipping our toes in the self-storage unit space. So um, I just think that, you know, one of the things that, that real estate investments offer is the opportunity to ride out markets, you know, and mm-hmm. you can do that through various different types of real estate assets and different strategies. And I just think that there's just always opportunity there. So I came to Secured Investment Corp about 10 years ago. I'm one of three fund managers. I'm the director of funding. So I raise capital. I, I mainly work with our clients that are passive, right? We, mm-hmm. we do provide funding to active real estate investors, but the side of the business that I really focus on is the clients that have capital, whether it's $1,000 or $100,000, we have options for them to deploy that capital. And so that's really my role with the company. And then I am an active fund manager. I manage the day-to-day investments in the fund. Um, we have a 10-year proven track record. Um, and so I take that that job very seriously, you know, um, people put their money with us expecting returns and we've always been able to provide them with that. So, um, happy to be here, happy to share what I know and, and what we do. And, you know, also, um, in turn, um, and happy to jump on calls with people after the fact. So thank you for having me. Okay, absolutely. And, um, so, and, and you being a fund manager, can you talk a little bit about, um, the two private equity funds that you that you guys have that you, I mean, yeah. I guess it's filling the void left by uncooperative traditional funding sources, correct? <laughs> yeah. So what, how we, and I think it's important to know how we got into the fund management business, because when I came on board 10 years ago, I dialed for dollars, you know, Donald would come to us and he needed funding for his real estate project. I'd get on my phone. I, I call it my Rolodex and the young people in my office think it's hilarious because they're, they're like, what's a Rolodex? I'm like, you know, it was this thing where you had numbers in it, but I would dial for dollars. I'd I'd work with my clients that had money. I'd match them with Donald and we were able to get his deal funded, but it was a very clunky process, right? You know, our active real estate investors are typically in a, in a time crunch, right? They've got a deal, their purchases and sale is going to expire. They're trying to get funding lined up. On the other side of it, I'm working with clients that have IRA monies or, you know, liquid funds, and I'm having to get them the due diligence package so that Donald can make an educated decision if he wants to invest it. And, you know, it's hard to match those two and it takes time. So the other flip side of it is we had a lot of clients that like real estate as an asset investment, but they didn't want some of the headaches that can come along with funding a note, right? Mm. That risk is, they might not pay. The upside is there's typically a lot of equity, you know, you're getting cash payments every month if they're making their payments, but the what ifs are, hey, if if that borrower doesn't make his payments, you're going to have to foreclose. So we thought that the funds solved that solution, right? They solved two solutions. We could allow people to pool their money in our real estate funds and we could deploy it and manage it for them. And they still get the yields that they're expecting, but they don't have the headaches that come along with the notes. 
And then in turn, we could take care of Donald and get his deal funded quick because we knew that it fit our parameters of our fund. We don't have to wait for someone to send their money in. We can take care of our borrowers and our brokers and service them the way that they expect. And then, you know, have this passive investment option for our clients that really just want something turnkey. They want to set it and forget it. They don't want any headaches of it. And it allows for investors to have their money always working um, because, notes pay off and then you got to find another home for it. So um, nine years ago, we opened our first fund. And at that time, the only type of fund you could open, which was called a 506C fund. And that meant that only high net worth individuals could go into it. So you had to be an accredited investor, meaning either a million dollars in assets, excluding your primary residence or annual income of $200,000 a year as an individual or 300 as a married couple. So that worked for us for a long time, but we also still have this passion that why should only the people that already have wealth be able to invest in things like this and grow their investment portfolio? Um, through the Jobs Act about four years ago, they changed a lot of those rulings and they said, okay, you guys can open up a different type of fund and anybody can invest in it. Um, there are some limitations that um, only allow you to invest up to a certain dollar amount. Um, but now we have our, our second fund that allows for anybody to invest in it. And we actually set the minimum of that at $1,000. So that's pretty exciting. Wow. There are not a lot of real estate funds out there that are what are called a regulation A plus fund. We're one of very few. And Heather, how, how, how are you bringing um, investors into your fund or how, how do they find out, find out about your fund? So a couple things about the fund. Um, we, we do a lot of marketing online. We're on podcasts just like this one. We go to a lot of self-directed IRA events. Um, a lot of it's word of mouth, but if they want to get more information, they can go to our website. We have a website at securedinvestmentcorp.com. Um, they can request more info there and talk with myself and my team. Um, a couple things about the fund um, that people should understand is there is opportunity to roll your earnings. So our funds pay out earnings on a monthly basis. Um, and some people really like to put them in growth mode. So what I tell clients initially when I'm talking with them is what is your strategy? What are you trying to accomplish? Some are trying to accomplish cash flow. Some are like, no, I don't need the cash flow. I just want to reinvest and just keep growing those accounts. So those fund accounts can be set up either way. They can reinvest their earnings or they can have their earnings paid out and they can always switch it down the road too. Um, tie up period on both funds is 12 months. So when people invest into our, our funds, they do have to commit to a 12 month period at least. And then they can start to divest out after that first year. I mean, a first year flies by like, I feel like it's like a yeah. blink of an eye. It is, definitely <laughs> um, is. They're also friendly to IRA accounts. So for any of you listeners on the podcast, if you have self-directed IRAs, and if you don't know about a self-directed IRA, I encourage you to reach out to me and I will educate you. But there are ways that people can invest with IRAs or even old 401ks where they're tax deferred. That's a really awesome, powerful tool. Um, but they're also open to liquid funds. So I have all different types of investors. 
Um, average yields are nine to 10%. So they, they produce really good earnings. Um, and when people invest, they have a membership interest in the entity. So the funds are set up like an LLC or as a LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are a equity owner in that LLC. And all earnings are reported with a K-1 at the end of the year. So okay. again, they can always go to our website. Um, we have a lot of literature at Secured Investment Corp. Uh, and if they want to schedule a 15-minute phone consultation, we really encourage that because, you know, naturally people have a lot of questions. Um, you know, we have a short period of time here, so it's hard to get all the info out. But um, logistically, those are really just the, the general questions and, and, and information, you know, that I'm giving today. But there's, there's bigger conversations to have. And, and some people aren't sure what they're trying to accomplish, Right. They know that, you know, they want to diversify their their portfolio. Maybe they are heavy in the stock market and they want to add real estate. What I would tell people is this is a way you can add real estate to your portfolio, but you don't have to go buy it. You don't have to go deal with tenants and toilets and rehabbing a house. This is a way that you can share in a piece of that pie without having the headaches and we manage it for them. Okay. And Heather, so, and when they roll that money, into a new investment, they take their earnings and roll it into another fund or investment. Does does that work the same as a 1031? I mean, are there taxes deferred when they do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So these particular funds that I'm speaking about, there is not an opportunity for a 1031 exchange because mm-hmm. the cash flow in these funds is turned in and out of there so quick because we we diversify our funds. And so what that means is we take 75% of the balance of the fund and we deploy that through loans that we originate. So we lend other investors money. So the the fund and the members make money off interest payments, origination Mm -hmm. points. The other 25% is held in real estate assets, but only in our local market, which is in the state of Washington and Idaho. Um, But those assets are turned so quick that there is not even an opportunity for depreciation. Um, But Mm -hmm. on a side note, if people are really looking for that type of an investment opportunity, we have other projects like that. We invest in small apartment complexes locally that would offer something like that. So I could talk to them offline about that. Um, But these particular funds, there is no uh, depreciation or tax benefit. And, And again, if they're using a, a tax deferred vehicle like an IRA or a you know solo 401k or something like that, um, obviously that wouldn't apply anyways. Um, but again, I can talk to people about that. These two particular funds do not have that. Okay. And real quick, before we hop more into what you're doing, if you're an investor and you're, I'm an investor, I'm looking for funds and I approach you for funding. What, um, what are some of the criteria you want the, the investors to have if you lend them money? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So um, in general, we will lend 90% of the purchase price. So if the house, if the house is being bought for a hundred grand, we're going to lend 90,000. Um, we can lend rehab funds also, um, but we're not going to lend more than 65% of the after repair value of the property. So just know as far right. as, Parameters for numbers, those are kind of, that's our, those are our um, guardrails. Um, as far as qualifications for a borrower, we only lend to entities and the members of the entity have to personally guarantee the loan. Um, we do want to see the ability to pay and that's with three pay, three months of payment reserves. So if the payments are 
$500 a month, we need to see that they have at least $1,500 in their bank account. And then um, for rehab funds, we want to see that they have 10% of the rehab budget. So if the rehab budget's 50 grand, we want to see $5,000, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason for that is our, our rehab draws are reimbursement style. So they have to front to cover their costs with contractors and we'll reimburse them. Um, as far as credit goes, we do not have a minimum credit score, um, but they can't have a bunch of problems, right? We, yeah. we overlook problems in the past as long as they're explainable, but if they currently have accounts that aren't paid current and they're in foreclosure or bankruptcy, we wouldn't be able to do a loan for them. But the good news is we don't have a minimum credit score. So we, we try to look at the big picture, right? We try to look at the asset, make sure that we're well secured with the asset, you know, because the reality is if a borrower defaults, we have to take it back. But we also are really focused on the borrower because not really, I mean, we're, we're concerned with them paying our investors back on our fund, but we also want to make sure we're setting up, up for success. So putting somebody in a loan that they can't service the debt, they don't have the financials to front foreclosure or uh, rehab costs is not setting that borrower up for success. So we just want that word out there that we're not trying to rake borrowers over the coals, but we want to make sure that they can successfully get in and out of these deals because hopefully then they're coming back and doing more deals with us, right? right. Um, and so those are our general criteria. Obviously, there's some other things that go along with it, but just um, an elevator pitch of what we do as far as funding goes, that would be. And single family up to four units. Okay, awesome. Great, thanks for that. Right. So, Heather, in your opinion, why is why are real estate funds some of the best alternative investments for that somebody can invest in? Yeah, I think that's also a good question. Um, You know, I think with at least the real estate that we are, you know, that's in our lane is residential single family up to four units. And we play in the affordable housing market space. Um, And I think any kind of real estate investment, especially funds, is a great alternative right now, especially through this market, because it's a tangible asset, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think they joke that in a downturn, a real estate investor turns into a landlord. You can always pivot, right? You know, we've bought houses and realized six months down the road that they're probably not going to sell for as much and then ran numbers and, and done an analysis and realized if we rented it, we'd be more profitable off the cash flow. I think real estate is a great asset because you can pivot and you can ride out market shifts. I mean, we're in some pretty crazy times right now. I wish I had a crystal ball and could tell you where we'll be at in six months. I don't really know, but I do know that we have tangible assets backing the fund. And even if markets had a decline, interest rates continued to rise, I know for a fact that we can still cash flow those assets and still continue to provide our investors with cash flow. You have, you know, an investment into a company that goes sideways and closes. You have nothing like your yeah. investment in that is gone. At least with real estate, they are tangible assets. You know, I think they are one of the best um, recession-proof investments that you can be in because of the flexibility of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, if it's underwritten correctly and the underlying asset is solid, like you said, you can ride that out until the market is in a better position. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about um, the lean positions that you you touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. So, so can can you give us a beginner's guide to how to invest in them? In the liens? 
Yes. Yeah. So our model is kind of interesting because a lot of real estate funds will acquire assets, whether they're, you know, physical assets or uh, liens that they're buying and they fund that fund up. And until something sells or pays off, they don't put any more assets in. All of our notes or liens, like you referred to, are the loans that we originate in our funds. So we sell those liens. And so when you buy a note from us, and just for clarification, a lot of people talk about notes and a lot of people talk about liens. They go hand in hand. A note is the promise to repay the loan. That is something that the borrower signs. It says, I am borrowing X amount of dollars. This is the interest rate I'm paying. This is when I'm going to make my payments. This is when my loan matures. It's really outlines the, the, you know, the specifications of the deal. The lien is actually the lien that's recorded against that property. So it's either done by recording a deed of trust or a mortgage lien. Every state is different. So they do go hand in hand. If you're buying a note, you should have a recorded lien against a property and vice versa. A note's going to tell you how you're going to get repaid. A lien's going to secure that property in the event your borrower doesn't pay. So those liens or notes are the same notes in our fund. We originate them through the fund and then our model is to sell them so we can recoup capital and we can originate four times as much as normal rather than just holding the asset. Um, we do still have a vested interest because we keep an interest strip off of them. So we're very motivated to make sure those liens continue to pay and we actually service all of our liens. So we actually service about 450 liens right now. Um, and there is opportunity to buy the liens. What I would tell you if, if somebody asked me, what's the difference between somebody that buys liens and somebody that just puts money in the fund? I would tell you it's probably one of a couple things. It's going to be identified by how risk adverse they are. Um, our liens, we don't lend more than 70% of the value. So there's massive upside. They did take them back, right? There's potentially 30% equity. My guys that buy liens are more risk adverse. They're saying, I love it that my borrower pays, but honestly, if he doesn't pay, I'll take that property back and I could get higher yields than 10% on my money. I might get 30%. But then in the other bucket of investors I have, I have clients that are just very passive. They're like, I don't want to deal with foreclosing on someone and someone not making their payments. I'd rather take my 50 grand and spread it out in a fund where it's over hundreds of assets rather than put all my eggs in one basket. Really, the asset is the same. It's either the assets in the fund and you're diversified over hundreds of them, or you're buying one specific asset. The other thing that typically dictates what, what somebody does is I have people that are very specific. You know, Donald might only want to invest in deals in Florida. Well, we lend in most states. So in the fund, you're going to be diversified over lots of different states where a note, you could be very specific, right? You could say, hey, Heather, I only want to look at deals in Florida. So yeah. They're really the same asset class. I think it just boils down to the investor, what they're trying to accomplish, how risk adverse they are, how hands-on they want to be. You know, some of my guys are like, I, don't call me, just send me my earnings. I don't want to mm -hmm. deal with anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And other people yeah. just really want to be in the middle of it and they like doing the due diligence, which is great. We need both. Um, but it really just depends on, on the client. So you're really, when you buy a lien, these are all first liens. Um, you are buying the lien against that property. You get paid through the interest payments the borrowers make every month. So some of my clients that really like cash flow, like notes, uh, and then you get your principal back when they pay the loan off. 
Okay. Okay. All right, so let's switch gears and talk about the current market and where you where you see it and where you see it going. And then, like you say, you don't have a crystal ball, but what you think about the future of the market? Uh, we feel pretty bullish, I'll be honest. Um, one of the things that we've always stuck to over the last 10 years is we only play in the affordable housing market space. So single family up to four units under the FHA cap. That is our thing. Um, and we do it for multiple reasons. Uh, the biggest reason we do that is in the event that you invest in a high-end home over the FHA cap, your database of buyers decreases by about 80% when you get over that FHA cap. So there's not as many buyers when you're up over that FHA cap. So if we stay under the FHA cap and every county's different, um, then we believe there's, there's a bigger pool of buyers, right? Um, they're also typically first-time home buyer properties. Um, there's lots of opportunity. The government's always coming in, trying to create home ownership. Uh, and then the last reason would be those types of properties typically cash flow better, right? They're not as high dollar amounts. You typically can get really good rents on them. So in the event that you see market shift like we're seeing now, we're seeing prices start to cool off. They are not increasing like they were. Um, I don't personally think we're going to be in a 2008 market by any means because most lenders aren't lending 110% of the value. And most people have had good jobs. I mean, you can't hire people now. It's, it's crazy, you know, um, which is surprising through COVID. Um, so I think we're just in a different environment than we were back then. But I do, and we do believe here internally at our, our company is that prices are declining um, a little bit. Interest rates are going up. So we see more opportunity holding rentals right now because there's such a shortage of houses. Um, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. We're kind of pulling back the reins on some of the things we're buying. Um, right now, we are getting rid of uh, quite a few houses that we were holding just in the event that the market declines even more. We still can get out and make money now. So we are getting rid of those. Um, we are keeping cash on hand. I think that's important from a personal level and an investor level. But we're pretty excited about some of the opportunities that are going to come up. We think there's going to be some houses that we, we're going to buy at 20% less than we could have six months ago. So I think um, from a real estate investor's point of view, you need to align yourself, get, make sure you have cash on hand, make sure you can take advantage of those opportunities. Real estate investors love declines in markets. But um, yeah, I think we do think it's going to get worse before it's going to get better, but we're well positioned to, to handle that. And we will continue to stay the course in the affordable housing market space. That's where we will continue to, to play. Okay. And um, so say some of your investors do have self-directed 401ks or IRAs, but they have no idea how to roll that into an investment. How, to, how does one make that happen? So what I would suggest is getting a hold of us. You know, again, you can go to our website at securedinvestmentcourt.com. What people need to understand is in order, like, let's say hypothetically you had an IRA and you wanted to put money in our fund. Um, to keep it an IRA and to, in order for you to be able to invest in our fund, it would have to be set up with a self-directed custodian. So if people haven't moved those accounts over, please get a hold of me. I'll give you some referrals. 
of some names of some IRA custodians that you can roll those accounts over. So you're not going to take a distribution and get taxed on it. You're simply moving it from whoever the custodian is now to a self-directed. Self-directed custodians allow you to invest in these types of investments. Once those monies are there, we actually do everything for our clients. So if we talked and you decided, Donald, you wanted to invest in our fund and you said, hey, I got my account set up with Quest IRA, we'll take the reins from there. We'll fill out all your forms. They do require, they like paper. <laughs> There's lots of forms. Um, and we do that for our clients and then we submit it on behalf of the client. But the biggest, the biggest and most important thing is making sure that those monies are set up with a custodian that's going to allow you to invest in something like this. Cause I get people that call and are like, Hey, I got my fidelity IRA. I want to invest. They're not going to let you invest with us. They want you to invest in investments that are on their platform and approved by them that, I mean, quite honestly, typically the reason is, is they get paid for it. (laughs) So we are a privately managed fund. We are not going to be found on the stock market sheet or anything like that. So I think the key thing is making sure that those monies are with a custodian that's going to allow you first. And then the rest is easy from there. And I've got some names. I've probably worked with every custodian out there, literally. And there's some really great ones and there's some that aren't as great, you know, but I tell people, I want you to do your own pushups. You find the custodian that works for you. I'll give you referrals for a few of them, but you know, people need to do their own due diligence and and determine what's the right fit for their, what they're trying to accomplish. Okay. And what, what kind of lead time on average do you need from saying you want to do this to actually putting that money to work? So if their funds are already set up with a custodian, we can turn that stuff around in two to three days. Like we get our paperwork out same day. If their funds are not with a self-directed custodian and they're wanting to roll those, um, I'd say it's probably a week or two. I mean, honestly, it's, okay. it's, it's as fast as the IRA owner can work, you know, because it does take some effort on their end, but it's typically pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. A week is pretty, yeah, not bad at all. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Good stuff there. All right. So before I stop grilling you, I want to put you through the lightning round now to see what makes Heather tick. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, so a softball for you. Um, what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Well, there's so many. I will tell you at our company, we actually do a book of the month club and we pay our employees $120 a month to read a book and do a par- uh, six paragraph report. So there's been a lot. Oh, wow. um, one of the things that I'm reading right now that's pretty impactful is um, Leaders Eat Last. I can't think of the author. Um, that's one of the areas that I feel like I need to do a lot of improvement. I, I've been a one man show for a long time and we are growing and adding to my team. So I think that really better understanding how I can be a better leader and role model is really important for me. Um, atomic habits is another one. I think, um, habits are so powerful. Um, and it's interesting to read more about how you can break bad habits and how you can make new habits. So those would be my, my top two right now, but that changes on a monthly basis. Okay. Yeah. And that's an awesome incentive for your company. A hundred, $120 for each book you read. Well, they get 120. They have to write a six paragraph uh, report and we do a staff huddle every Tuesday morning and they have to get up. If they do the book report, they have to get up and give a 30 second aha moment about, you know, what their takeaway was from it. 
and yeah, $120 cash. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I usually try to do three bu- three books a month, so I need to yeah. try to get a part-time job with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the employees like it, and they're all books to better themselves personally, professionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, so they... I find that they all resonate with it a lot and they enjoy it. So we have about a hundred employees. Yeah. It's a win-win for you guys as well, right? Because you get better developed employees. So do the, do the books have to be nonfiction or can they be any type of book? Well, we, we assign it. So every month okay. we've had a couple dealers choice, I have to say, but 10 out of the 12 months in the year, we assign the book and yeah. So they have to read what we assign. Okay. Okay, perfect. All right, and Heather, how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? Well, I would say that one of the biggest <coughs> failures is um, that has created success was the first property my husband and I flipped. <laughs> and and I, I think it was successful for me for two reasons. One, I've always dealt with the investors. Like my job in the 20 years I've been in this industry has been dealing with investors that invest money with us. So I feel like I was pretty jaded, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm part of, I've been part of underwriting. I've service notes. I'm part of lender committee, but I think what I took away from that was actually seeing what our borrowers go through, you know, and it's not easy. It's not easy to rehab a house. And we made a lot of mistakes. We tried to do a lot of the work ourselves. We, I think I had this grand vision that it was going to be like HGTV and it's not (laughs) at all. (laughs) And it took way longer than it should have. And we broke even, thank the Lord. But I learned a lot. I learned to appreciate our borrowers a lot more and understand more when they're having challenges that it's not easy and it's not a perfect Mm -hmm. science and nothing ever goes as planned. Um, And then I also, the other takeaway from that, that experience was my time value, you know, um, because mm-hmm. we have this opinion of, well, I'm not going to pay that guy to lay tile. We know how to do that. And it's like, but when I got down and actually looked at what the value of my time was and mm-hmm. what it took away from, it was like, we could have been out of this deal in three to four months, yet it took us 12 months because we tried to do everything ourselves. <laughs> exactly. So I think it, it helped me value my time more. Um, you know, because we were doing it on weekends and nights and there were nights we were there till midnight and, you know, missed family things because of it. Mm. So there were two takeaways. I think professionally made me a better fund manager and a little more, um, a little more inclined to understand and, and work with borrowers instead of, well, no, they just need to pay. And our investors think they're getting, you know, so Professionally, I think it helped. And then on a personal level, just understanding my value of my time uh, was what I took away from that. And we didn't make any money. We didn't lose money, but we didn't make any money. And for 12 months of my time, that that kind of stinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you think about, yeah, you wanted to save that money. But yeah, like you said, the time you put into it, you probably could have done three or four deals, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so yes, glad you, glad you can take that take that lesson away from that. That's most important. Yeah. All right. And if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? I think if I could do that, I would want to have a billboard that would say, you don't have to have a large amount of capital to invest in real estate. Mm -hmm. That is 
such a misunderstanding and I get clients every day that call and are like, I've got $5,000. It's taken me a year to save that. I want to get into real estate. I, I don't have enough capital. They can, and they can do that through a fund like ours. Our mm-hmm. fund has a minimum of a thousand dollars. And what I, what I can't help, but want to get across to everybody is you have to start somewhere. So, you know, getting the message out that they don't have to have a large amount of capital to actually start investing in real estate. It doesn't mean that somewhere down the road that they wouldn't start investing and buying their own real estate, but start somewhere, even Mm, with $1,000. So I think that would be my message I would want to get across. Okay, great. And um, what is a habit or routine that you love? Um, I have two um, and one I've really had to work at because it didn't come real naturally to me. And that would be reading. Uh, what I used to do was tend to wait till the evening to read, which puts me to sleep. <laughs> so now instead of getting on social media, I do that first thing in the morning. Um, and social media is a powerful marketing tool, but it also can suck you in. And yeah. so I get up, have my coffee, read in the morning, then I have it done for the day. And if I do read later in the day, great, that's a bonus. And then the second one would be to exercise. Um, I do that for mental clarity. Those are my two habits. Okay, excellent. All right, and Heather, what have you become better at saying no to? Oh, this is so timely for me. <laughs> I have had to learn to say no to people in general, and and that is in my professional career uh, and in my personal life. And, you know, I'm a mom and I'm the oldest of three girls. So I feel like I'm one of those type A type of people that just wants to make sure things everybody's taken care of and things are getting done. Um, And I really have to learn to say no and to delegate things. Um, And so Saying no to people because of the value of my time has been, and honestly, this has just been over probably the last six months. I have gotten to the point where I've realized I can't do everything. And honestly, I don't really need to. I've got a great team. I need to trust and verify and say no to certain things and, um, and be mindful of my time. Um, you know, I used to work God awful hours and respond to emails and text messages the minute they came through. And I've learned that people will wait, you know, they want to be responded to, but you don't have to be responding the second you get a message. So I'm still learning that (laughs) it's really hard for me. Uh, But really saying no to just about anything that I don't have time for and, and really segmenting my day, right? Like, there's certain hours of the day I only answer emails and there's certain hours of the day I only do podcasts. So that's something that's actually helped me better manage my time too, because I felt like I was just going 25 different directions, um, which is not healthy and is very stressful. So. Okay. Great. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just was going to say, I don't think it's just one thing. I think it's just saying no in general to certain things that I don't have time for and prioritizing. Yeah, and it's eye-opening as well because we, I mean, we think we're disappointing people by saying no, but I think most people actually respect it when you do say no. I mean, they respect those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. We keep stepping on each other. Oh, it's okay. I'm done. (laughs) Okay. All right. Awesome. And last one, this one might stump you a little, but what important truth do very few people agree with you on? 
What important truth. That's a tough one. Yeah, everybody's truth is different, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think not a lot of people agree that being really transparent and direct is a good quality. And especially as a female in this industry, I think being direct can be perceived the wrong way. Uh, I'm a very direct person and just, you know, this industry is kind of a a man's world. It really has been for a long time. Um, So I don't know that everybody necessarily agrees with that or thinks that's a good quality is just being direct. I appreciate it. I love direct people, but direct people can also come across as being really overbearing and, you know, um, but for me, I deal better with direct people. So I would say not as many people agree with that or, or feel like that's a good quality. Yeah, I would agree too. I like, I kind of prefer direct rather than having to read in between the lines or they mean yeah. this, or I would much rather just say, like I had one investor I was, this is when I first started syndicated maybe three or four years ago and I brought him a deal and he it was actually Ray who I introduced you to but he looked at the deal and he's like I'm not doing this deal and he just told me just like that and I, I really respected that because he told me what I needed to do and to up yeah. my game so I, I prefer that to somebody just saying oh, no I don't want today he's really not telling me why but I'd rather just say yeah right. I'm not doing this there's no way I'm going to do this well and your time is valuable right so yeah. instead of wasting your time trying to figure out does he like the deal? Does he not? What does he like about it? Just, I would prefer to know up front and then you can move on to the next or, you know, or address what they don't like about it. So um, I, I appreciate that in people, but as you probably know, not everybody appreciates that sometimes. Yeah. And I've really had to learn like, what are people's love languages? How do they communicate? I'm just, I'm really black and white. I'm super busy. I'm fast paced and, you know, just, managing a team has taught me a lot that not everybody's like that. You know, some people need a little more words of affirmation and things like that. So, um, God gave me boys for a reason. Thank God I didn't have girls. (laughs) So (laughs) my personality fit with that kind of parenting style. Um, but I've really had to learn, you know, through managing teams that that's not always the case and not everybody appreciates that and communicates that way. Yeah, definitely. I think you really need to have that skill when you're working with investors. So it's definitely a skill yeah. you need to have, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Awesome, Heather. So before we hop off, if um, uh, you mentioned it later, but if anybody wants to get in touch with you, learn more about you or collaborate, uh, what's the best way of getting in contact? So, yeah, they can go to our website, Secured Investment Corp. Dot com And they can actually schedule an appointment with me on there. So you can click on get started and it'll just let you go to our calendar and you can schedule an appointment with me. So they can always go to the website. Our phone number is on there. They can also call. It typically works better if they just schedule an appointment because we're on and off calls all day, but they're always more than welcome to, you know, try to give us a call and leave a message. Uh, but always our website. Um, and then if they, if you are an active real estate investor and you're looking for funding, go to our website at Kogo Capital. So it's C-O-G-O Capital. That's where they can go if they're looking to borrow money for any of their real estate projects. But we'd love to talk with anybody. Okay. And actually, I have a few people that I think could, I can introduce you to that would be in need of some funding. So I'll send them your way as well. Yeah, we can get them hooked up with a loan officer. They'll take good care of them. All right, awesome. 
All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. This was really enlightening. I'm glad glad you were able to get on and talk. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So um, take care, and um, I'll be talking to you again real soon. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the Books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.